I, I think that's where we have to go with each other when we begin discussing things like prayer, especially when you no longer place your faith in an old man up in the sky and you begin to see God as the animating force that sort of brings everything to life and is infusing in everything. You are listening to the Concierge Minister Podcast, a place to grow, learn, and be inspired as you discover God's purpose for your life. Here's your host, the pastor you've always wanted without the church, Dr. Kumar Dixit. Welcome to our very first episode of what I'm calling uh, the Concierge Minister Podcast. I'm super duper excited to be in conversation today with the old friend um, and colleague. She's not old, but we are, actually we are getting old, aren't we, Samantha? <laughs> you know, I, I remember uh, uh, Samantha Tuttle, um, we both met on the campus of Wesley Theological Seminary, I think about 12 years ago. Is that when it was? It sounds about right. Yeah, um, Samantha is an ordained minister and we were both in a program together a, a long time ago. Um, for young ministers, um, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, it was like we were specially selected. I remember the way they said it was, um, you've been selected to be one of 30 ministers around the United States to be part of this very special program. And I was like, man, I am special. So it was, it was kind of cool. And um, you've had a, a long journey. You started off in the United Methodist Church. Um, and you currently are at the United Church of Christ. Correct. Yep. And education at Emory University. Mm -hmm. And from there, everything has changed, right? With your own journey. It's been, it's been exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one of the things we're going to talk about, I'm going to, I'm going to try to find a easier way to say this, but what we're going to be talking about is kind of like when you go through a faith experience and you kind of realize that maybe everything that you grew up learning and knowing may not really equate or even share the same values that you do today. Exactly. Uh, as a, yeah. And so, you know, in, in the religious world, we call that kind of a deconstruction of faith. Um, in the secular world, we just call that having a breakdown, <laughs> you know, and trying to figure things out um, all over again uh, as an adult. So you had a, a, something similar that happened. Tell us about it. Yeah, a um, little bit of background. Uh, my undergraduate work was in environmental science and biology. So okay. when I went to seminary, I didn't have what most students had, which was sort of like an undergrad degree in religion. Um, I, I didn't have any of that. So I grew up in the church, but I just sort of jumped in to the deep end um, with this background of science and, uh, and started to figure out this whole theology thing out simultaneously. So I had sort of a lifelong um, uh, experience of dancing in both the science and the theology uh, realm and trying to you know, consolidate those and marry those together. Um, and so when I was ordained in the United Methodist Church, um, my first church was a fairly large church, fantastic experience. I was there for seven years, met my husband. Um, we had our son there after seven years. Uh, in the Methodist tradition, it's itinerant. And so they sort of move you where they want you to go. And so I moved um, down the road about 30 minutes and took my second church. 
So after seven years at my first church, um, I, I was ready to sort of spread my wings and have my own congregation. I was an associate pastor in my first church. And so I went to my second church and, um, and it was not the best experience. It was uh, what I discovered it to be a, a pretty toxic environment. And, um, and so I began to explore the idea of uh, church planting. Uh, that was sort of a conversation going on and friends were telling me, you should really look into this. You seem wired for this. And so I did a few, you know, conferences and workshops and sort of looking into it. I was like, yeah, this does sort of sound like something that would work for me. This sounds like I'm wired for this. And I said, yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's, I'll finish out my second year at this church and we'll just do that. And I swear to you, maybe 30 seconds later, we found out I was pregnant with my second child. Okay. And so uh, I was like, all right, so uh, planting a church with a two-year-old and a newborn is probably not the best idea. Right. So I said, well, I, I don't want to bide my time until I can, uh, do this and I don't want to um, move to another church um, because I really feel like this is something I want to do so and I didn't want to stay it just felt like it just wasn't a healthy environment for me so I said you know I'm gonna I'm just gonna be a mom for a while and take the time to articulate what this new church plant would look like so we just picked up and left I went on my uh, family leave and we moved down the road we got a townhouse and I became a stay-at-home mom like it was just this thing I just literally walked away from it and it was it was a time for me to heal um, from this toxic environment as well so so I did that and I started to envision what this church this whatever it would be would sort of look like and what i did was i created a, a fake uh website just this mock church website and i was like because i'm a very visual person i was like i'm just sort of download all these ideas from my head onto a right. website and sort of move them around and and i started doing that and um i'm very passionate about um being a very inclusive community so very passionate about the lgbtq community and being inclusive of them and being in seminary i was wanted to be a part of that movement that was going to help you know change those things within the united methodist church and i wanted mm -hmm. to be a part of that and so years had gone by and i just was not seeing the change and so here i have this mock church website that clearly says lgbtq people are completely um you know uh, part of this community and welcomed and included and and all of that and so I got a little concerned about presenting this idea to the institution because I wasn't sure if they were going to um, uh, allow me to do that and so I just started it was just a very uh, spiritual journey where I was really looking inward I was really thinking about you know what who am I now? What kind of ministry do I want to do? Does this fit at the table of this institution? And the more I worked with it, the more I was like, no, I don't think it does. Mm. I might have to leave. I might have to explore other denominations where I can do this. I can't shove this in this, you know, peg hole here. Now, were there other things going on, you know, in your life in relation to the United Methodist Church, or was this really the big issue for you? It was probably the biggest one. Um, there were some other things in terms of, of, of how the institution um, functions okay. and how a church plant would fit into that. So, for example, 
I was told, hey, paint us a picture of what your church would look like. And then I would do that. And then we'd say, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You can't create your own appointment. Got it. And I'm like, no, but you just told me to paint a picture. Yeah, paint a picture. Just don't create your own appointment. And so when I submitted my picture, they basically said, we love this. And then we'll submit it to the committees. And then they get to decide who gets to bring this vision to life. And I'm like, wait, what? Oh, wow. So it could be given to somebody else. So there was, there was a lot of stuff kind of going on at the time. So I, I found um, somebody down the road that was, I guess, the, the associate minister, the, um, the equivalent of the district superintendent in the United Methodist Church, but in the UCC. And I found her and I said, hey, can we talk? I'm interested in the UCC. And I, I met up with her and her wife at a Starbucks. So that was like a huge deal. Right. I'm like, all right, so this is, this is interesting. And so we sat down and I sort of explained to her this process that I was sort of going through. And she started talking to me about the steps to transferring your ordination from one denomination to the UCC. And she told me, you'll have to rewrite your ordination papers again, mm. but there's only three questions. Now, mind you, the US, UMC has got like, you know, Lots and lots of questions. And the UMC is like four, three questions. Um, describe your spiritual journey. What is your theology? And what is your understanding of the history and polity of the UCC? Which, you know, I had no idea what that was. I had to take a class for that. Sure. But I was like, three questions, huh? And I looked at that question, what is your theology? And I just came to this realization, like, oh my gosh, like, I've never articulated that ever. In all of these years, I've never sat down and articulated my own personal theology. Because mm -hmm. the United Methodist Church wants to know, can you articulate Wesleyan theology? Can right. you write that down? Do you know that? Can you articulate that? They, they, they never actually question, what do I believe? What do I think? Yeah, they want, they want to know if you've been indoctrinated into their... Exactly. System. And so I was like, wow, this is the first time I've actually... I mean all these years and this is the first time that i've actually done this this is like huge and so i sat down and began to do that and uh, it was a huge uh process it was it was very emotional actually hmm. and it was scary it was actually terrifying because i wasn't sure if i was allowed to say out loud some of the things that i had always thought mm -hmm. um, especially coming from a scientific background so i'm carrying with me all these uh, doctrines that I've inherited and some of them I don't agree with and I don't believe in and what happens if I say that out loud what's going to happen to me what can I get a church and still say these things and so I went back to uh, to my new friend and I said can I say I don't believe in the virgin birth is that okay and she's like yeah that's totally fine I'm like wow so she almost gave me this permission slip to just sort of go for it mm. and I ran across this random article by a guy by the name of Bishop John Shelby Spong. I don't know if you know him or not. I, I've read every book of his. Yeah. Amazing. And it takes sometimes months to like undo everything that I've learned from you. It's yeah, just yeah. messes with yeah. So so I'm reading his book. So I'm doing this like this this combination of exploring other people's work mm -hmm. while at the same time trying to explore what's going on inside of me. So it's it's sort of this double uh, thing going on. And I came across one of his books. I actually brought it with me. It's um, 
a new Christianity for a new world. I don't know, is that backwards or is that, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But, um, and so I started reading this during nap time because it's the only time I had by myself. Right. And you know, there's moments where you're reading something and it so resonates with something that you've always known, but you've never heard somebody else articulate it. Yeah. And it just sort of like came alive in me. And it was the idea, you know, we've all inherited this, 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 uh, this picture of Christianity of, uh, that includes original sin mm-hmm. and that Jesus was sent to die on the cross for our sins and reconcile all the, that stuff. And, and people have a huge, um, some people have a huge problem with that. And um, I've always sort of had a problem with it, but I never really articulated it. I never really explored it. And, um, and it's kind of sort of coming from my scientific background. And one of the things that I've always struggled with is the doctrine of original sin, because I learned about Charles Darwin in, in college. You know, I learned about evolution. I learned the science behind it. And I've always tried to reconcile what I learned in the science world with what the scriptures say. And so I'm reading this book and John Shelby Spong says something to the effect of, um, if evolution is true, then that means there is, there was never a time when all of creation was completely perfect and, and, uh, uh, flawless and complete. Um, which then means, yeah. It's been evolving from the moment it started. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, you read the book of Genesis and then, you know, creation is sort of done. Um, and so he's basically arguing like if, if Charles Darwin is correct in his theory or his idea of evolution, if that's true, then that means there was never a time when all of creation was complete and perfect and flawless. And if that's true, then that means there was also never a specific moment in history when it became broken and cursed. Mm. And I just remember just sitting there with that going, oh my God, because if that is the case, all the doctrines sort of get thrown under the bus. What, what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. And so I began to really sort of explore that, um, that idea, that notion of just sort of throwing um, evolution or... Um, uh, creationism. Creation, no, or creationism and um, uh, the doctrine of original sin sort of under the bus. Yeah. And once I did that, it was just everything just started, you know, coming loose. And it was, it was pretty scary. Um, and I read this one quote, actually I brought the quote with me because it so resonated with me and it's sort of the foundation of my faith today. And Spong says, divinity is not the opposite of humanity. Divinity is the depth of humanity. The only way any of us can ever be divine is to become so deeply and fully human that we are open to whatever the spirit of divinity is to live in us and through us. Wow. And that right, that that has just sort of sat with me for all of these years um, as I've sort of looked at the scriptures and sort of began to understand the scriptures through an evolutionary lens. And what I was never taught was that as you begin to look at the scriptures, you begin to sort of see this progression in human consciousness, in their understanding of humanity, in their understanding of the divine. And, um, and that just sort of opened up a whole new world for me. And once 
I sort of opened Pandora's box, it became quite clear, I have to leave this institution mm -hmm. and figure out where I do fit. And it has and to be having like a nervous breakdown because, you know, basically everything that you once held true, you've now questioned. And yeah. at, least for, at least for a moment, you it's dangling in air in, in midair, giving you the opportunity to decide whether it exists or even has a place in your life. Yeah, it, for me, it was so exciting. And it was like, oh, I found my home. It was like a homecoming for me. It was like, this, this is what I've been looking for. This is what, this is the missing piece. Um, because I've always struggled with some of, like, going into a hospital room and praying with a family. Mm -hmm. It always felt awkward to me, and I never really could articulate why. And now I sort of understand why a little bit more. And it, it all sort of boiled down to understanding the divine or God or source or whatever word works for you um, in a completely different way. Um, most of us inherited a, a, a God in the sky type of a, a picture. Yeah. And I, I think what has happened for many of us um, is our theology never grew past third grade. And the third grade version of theology we were handed comes from a lens that was used before science, before telescopes, before microscopes, before we had an understanding of, you know, weather patterns. And so when, when you understand God through that lens, it makes sense. But beyond that lens, through a 21st century lens, it no longer fits and no longer makes sense. And so you find yourself lifting up a prayer to the divine up in the sky and nothing happens. How do you explain that? Well, we just don't know what God, God's will is. And hopefully, you know, God will answer our prayer. And if not, then, well, God had a reason for it. Well, is there a different way we can understand uh, the divine? And so I began sort of going through that deconstruction and then trying to figure out, okay, how how can I reconstruct this in a way that works for me and for my family? And so one of the other motivators or motivations behind this mock church website that I was creating was what kind of a community would I want my children to be a part of? Mm. Um, and whatever it is, it's probably going to be something that doesn't exist out there right now, because if it existed already, I would already be there with my kids. Coming up with Samantha Tuttle. I, I think we almost need to hand out permission slips to people to say, hey, wh whatever you were handed in third grade, if that's not working for you anymore, um, that's okay. Um, I, I think people still have this intuition of their connection to the divine, um, but they don't really understand how to articulate it. And, or how to see it. And unfortunately, when you go into a church building, they're not finding the answers that they're looking for because we're still using the same hymns. We're still using the same theology. We're still using the same language. Um, we're still using the same setup. I want to introduce you to ConciergeMinister.com. I'm Kumar Dixit, the Concierge Minister. If you're hoping to grow your faith in God, but feel stuck and don't know where to begin, you've found the right place. 
At Concierge Minister, I will help you develop a personalized spiritual plan, provide coaching and counseling, and serve as your personal pastor. You can schedule a free 30-minute phone conference with me. Just visit ConciergeMinister.com for details. I, what, what I'm curious to do to know is, we've talked about the deconstruction. What does the reconstruction look like for you now? The reconstruction, yeah. So, I don't know if this is going to get too far into the weeds of your next segment here. Um, and let me, let, let's use the example of of you going into a person in a hospital because I think that yeah, that I actually have a few. All right, here's a here's a, a great example. So, all right, let's back up to me in um, fifth grade. I'm I'm learning my multiplication tables and I fail my test on fours and I have to take the test home and get it signed by my parents and I'm terrified because I don't want to get in trouble so I put the test under my pillow and I pray to God please sign my parents name on this test so that I do not have to take this test to my parents in the morning um and, and lo and behold I woke up the next morning and I took the test out from under my pillow and there was nothing there um, so, so there's that, you know, fifth grade understanding of prayer. Um, and, and you have this realization of my prayer didn't get answered. Fast forward to CPE, clinical pastoral education, where you're learning how to be a, a hospital chaplain. And I'm doing my rounds and I, and I go into this room and there's this there's this woman, she's very young, and she's dying of uterine cancer or ovarian cancer. And she's in the final stages of dying. And, and if you've ever seen that, most people are sort of in a fetal position. And there are visual clues that tell you this, this is, we're coming to the end here. And the whole family was in there, and there was a radio on, and the, the, the music was very low, and everybody was crying. And I'm new, I'm wet behind the ears. I don't know what in the world I'm doing. And I go in there and I'm like, well, let's hold hands and stand around the bed. And, and some garbly gook came out of my mouth. I tried to articulate some form of a prayer. And then I left and it was an all nighter. So I spent the night at the hospital. And then the next morning I went to go check on them. She is sitting up in the bed. The lights are on, everyone's smiling, everyone's happy. And I'm like, well, what, what? what just happened here? Is this like a miracle that just happened here? Mm-hmm. So you have these moments, these mysterious moments where the unexplained happens and right. you don't really know what to do with that, but you sort of carry that with you. Um, and then fast forward to, you know, my first church, still, still young, still not really sure what I'm doing. And I'm at Walter Reed Hospital, and I am standing with a family who's about to take their 20-year-old son off of life support. And, you know, those are holy ground moments where you're standing with them. And his father is this giant Marine, just massive, like seven-foot-tall, big, giant Marine guy, you know? And he looks over at me and he says, is he going to be in the arms of Jesus? Mm. And we begin this process and the nurse is, you know, getting things ready. There's a whole process around it. And we all stood there and we watched his mother lay her head on his chest and coach her son through the final moments of life. Mm. 
and help um, help her son's heart stop beating. Wow. And about 20 seconds after that, the on-call hospital chaplain walks in the door with her little book, reads some generic prayer, and then walks out. Mm. What was the, where was the prayer in all of that? Was the prayer in the holy moment where we were sort of connected as a community in that present moment? Or was it the generic words that this woman spoke out into the air? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that's where we have to go with each other when we begin discussing things like prayer, especially when you no longer place your faith in an old man up in the sky and you began to see God as the animating force that sort of brings everything to life and is infusing in everything. Um, it, it's more of a present moment being fully aware of the energy that's being exchanged between two human beings and, and, the, and the love that is exchanged between you know, these human beings and being fully present in the moment. That, I think that is more of an example of prayer than standing from a pulpit reading, you know, some generic words that just don't carry any emotion to them. Right. Um, so what, what you're describing, Samantha, I, and I think it's really hard for Western society yeah. to wrap your know, arms around, like what, what you're just describing about using language like, you know, the force and energy yeah. is is really um kind of like language far from the mystics and yeah exactly very much um kind of ether eastern thought mm -hmm. i want to say so you know our western civilization is so modernistic it's so um segmented and um it's methodist there's a method behind how we are supposed to understand um faith yeah. And so what you're taking or, or saying is really stripping that away and saying God is much bigger than steps one through 10 that we grew up with. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I think we almost need to hand out permission slips to people to say, Hey, what, whatever you were handed in third grade, if that's not working for you anymore, um, that's okay. Um, I, I think people still have this intuition of their connection to the divine, um, but they don't really understand how to articulate it and, mm. or how to see it. And unfortunately, when you go into a church building, they're not finding the answers that they're looking for because we're still using the same hymns. We're still using the same theology. We're still using the same language. Um, we're still using the same setup. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, it just doesn't fit for, for a lot of people. And, um, and we're, we're having families and we have children that we want to pass something to. And, and we look at um, what we've inherited and we're like, I don't want to hand that to them. I mean, a lot, what, what I saw a lot of in my, especially in my first church were a lot of young families returning to church Mm -hmm. with their children and expecting the church to teach them the stuff. Yeah, I, I, I remember just being floored that, 
uh, you know, those young parents didn't want to sing new songs, even in the kids' uh, ministry. They wanted to sing the same songs yeah. they grew up singing 40 years ago, you know. So yeah. in many ways, it was just fill the gas tank in my kid's brain, just as you did for me, and I have no interest in learning or discovering anything new. Right, right. Um, and, and, and some of it is the idea that you're not supposed to ask tough questions. You're not supposed to, to ask that. There, there's Some have inherited this idea that to, to ask questions means that you're questioning God. Yeah. And questioning God could jeopardize your personal salvation. So it's just too big of a risk to hmm. kind of go there. Um, and, and for me, once I started peeling back the layers, I was like, what is this like getting saved stuff for if it was never broken? Like it, it just really sort of playing with that. And I kind of came to the conclusion of we have to figure out a way to become so fully human. You know, if Jesus, you know, people will argue Jesus was all of the divine that could be contained in a human being. If he's pointing us to how we can do that, um, and, and we dive deeper into our own humanity. Um, could we become more in touch with the divine? And how will we treat each other if we are able to recognize the divine in each other? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I, I, a lot of people just haven't really talked about faith from that perspective. And um, so from the evangelical, and I'm talking mainstream evangelical. Yeah, yeah. Um, point of view what you're sharing with me is so fringe yeah i mean it's it's not even like in the margins you know, I know, I know. way 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 outside of of the margins so do you do you feel lonely i mean do you feel as if you're kind of isolated and on your oh own? definitely you have to find people that are like-minded that you can talk to because um, once you take the risk of sort of going on this journey, it's one of those, once you see, you can't unsee it. It, it, it shifts, it changes everything. Um, you know, to the point of, you know, when you go home to see your family and you're standing there saying the blessing, that feels different. When you go into a church, uh, sanctuary and you're standing there and they start reciting the apostles creed, that feels different. Mm. Um, there are things that just, they, it feels different. And so those closest to you may not be overly excited to go on the same journey that you're on. And so it can be very lonely. And so you have to find people that are sort of like-minded that you um, can have some of these tough conversations with. That's kind of like one of the reasons why I want to get into doing what I am hoping to do is, you know, I, I've been working on that faith deconstruction, reconstruction from the pulpit um, but I love the idea of being able to work one-on-one -on -one with people to sort of help them do that because it is a lonely job to do and to have somebody that can kind of um, be your sounding board to kind of bounce those ideas and a safe environment to sort of say those things out loud. Yeah, um, I, I think I need to throw original sin and, and atonement and salvation and some of those things completely under the bus because I just don't see it that way anymore. And to be able to do that without being completely terrified. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a risk and uh, you may walk away with a limp and uh, it's, mm. yeah, it's. Mm. So uh, before I ask you about what you're doing now, let me just get some advice from you. You know, if someone's listening today and they're kind of somewhere on the path that you've been on, 
you know, they, they may be a couple miles behind you or somewhere tailing you. Um, and they're, they're kind of realizing, you know, everything that I believed in, I'm not really sure I believe in anymore. Yeah. And I'm afraid to admit that out to people. I'm afraid to like even possibly pursue it because I don't know where that's going to lead me. Uh, what kind of counsel would you give to somebody who's just trying to figure out where they stand on, on their beliefs? I think finding a community is sort of the biggest piece, the, the biggest piece. And I think giving the invention of social media and the internet, um, it's a lot easier to find people, like-minded people than there were, um, you know, even for us when we were starting out, I mean, that just didn't even exist. And so uh, it is not very hard to find um, individuals who are going down that same journey as you. And so that can bring um, some sense of, of uh, comfort uh, as you kind of go down that journey. Um, there are a lot of podcasts out there that kind of helps. I know it's, it can be difficult to find a church that's sort of regurgitating the same stuff that you grew up with that no longer works, but there's a lot of podcasts out there uh, where conversations are happening, where people are exploring that as well. I think that would be the, the primary thing is to find, uh, don't do this in isolation um, mm. if you don't have to, um, because I think being able to say things out loud to somebody else um, and to hear somebody else say, yeah, I've been there. I know what that feels like. Me too. I, this is where this led me. And also to be able to share some of those scars and limps mm. with somebody else, because it can be, it can leave those marks uh, in the end and to feel like, you know, I'm not the only one out there that's sort of going through this. Uh, journey at the same time and That's good. Um, you have to it's tough it's, it's tough because the reality is you may not want to go to a church anymore it just may not work for you anymore um, and to be able to find a group of people that said yeah that, that's okay um, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to open that box. Yeah, give us a kind of a um, an overview of what your ministry looks like now, and um, what what you're doing one to one with people in, in their own faith journey. Uh, well, right now, due to you know some of the health struggles, everything has just kind of come to a screeching halt. So um, I, I just sort of have the blueprints laying out in front of me i'm just sort of ready to go whenever the time is right which i'm thinking the time may never be right because every time i think okay i'm gonna do this you know weird things like covid <laughs> pandemics happen yeah. um but it, because of the, the health scare that i had that involved uh exposure to toxic mold i have to be extremely careful about the environments that i physically put myself in and so kind of what I'm thinking now is to really focus on my writing and, uh, and focus on launching um, this podcast idea that I have, which is exploring theology through an evolutionary lens. Um, I, I like, you know, getting back to our idea of growth is if you begin to scientifically look at the universe and the universe is constantly expanding, um, we are in the universe, but the universe is also in us which means we too are also constantly expanding. And so 
I, I, I love the idea of using a podcast um, as a way to create an environment for, for, uh, for dialogue and conversation. And so my initial idea was to put a, like a community podcast together and then have meetups in the community at restaurants and stuff for this, you know, specific purpose of, or explicit purpose of um, conversation and dialogue. Samantha, thank you so much for, for joining me. Uh, you are my very first uh, guest, and I'm thrilled that that happened this way. Well, I'm happy for you and this, this new endeavor you're taking. It, it kind of sounds like we're sort of on the same page with uh, totally trying to, to provide opportunities for people to explore their faith and grow and uh, expand and evolve. And uh, um, it's exciting. It really is exciting to kind of think about different ways that the church can uh, be experienced in the world that um, we need this more than ever. I really do. More really than do. ever. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, what is the church and can it be defined outside of the walls, right? Yes. And, and I think that's what we need to move towards. So yep. thanks so much. And we are going to continue this conversation um, on our members only um, podcast. And that's going to be about how families can deconstruct their faith and pass it on to their children. Do you want to give a little teaser on that? Um, imagine you're a family and you are, you grew up in the church and you can't find a church because what they're teaching in their churches just doesn't along, sort of align with your personal values and ethics of today. And so you don't really feel like there is a physical place for you to go. And you got kids and you wanna pass something down to them and you're not really sure what you wanna pass down to them. Um, and you're not really sure how to articulate what it is that you believe anymore. Um, you might need some help to kind of do that because it's your, your, your spirituality, your faith, um, your values are very important. You want to pass that down to your kids. So. Um, very cool. We'll talk about that on our next segment. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the Concierge Minister podcast. If you want to learn more about growing in your faith or looking for an online faith community for support while you're on your journey, please visit concierge or send us an email at concierge at gmail.com. Don't forget to click the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating. If you find this podcast helpful, please tell your friends about us. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, go and live your best life.